We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam. Sam, how's it going? I'm feeling good, man. I am uh, back uh, in my home, not my hometown now. I guess I was in my hometown for Thanksgiving. Um, But yeah, made the road trip a couple of times over the past few days. Feeling refreshed, feeling thankful uh, and and grateful, I guess is the better word for that. Both for... uh, you know, personal stuff, but also for the Phoenix Suns, who had a pretty damn good week. One four in a row. Knicks, Lakers, Pistons, Jazz, all wins this week. None none of those teams are... I mean, the Jazz have been good, I guess. <laughs> none of those teams are overly impressive to beat, but the Suns are winning the games that they're supposed to win. Who uh, is an know, impressive team to beat right now? That's, that's what part we're going to have to talk about. It? Yeah, that's yeah. what we're going to have to talk about. Uh, but they still came through and won every one. I, I finally went to a game, too. I went to the Pistons game. Yeah, course, dude. Very so, good. Wait, let's talk about that for the people who don't follow you on social media. Um, even for the people, I think, who don't follow you on Twitter, there is a good chance that a lot of people logging into, I don't know, their Instagram accounts uh, <laughs> or otherwise on Twitter or maybe on Facebook saw yeah. a video that yeah. you took at that Suns game, <laughs> which right, last, yeah. I, last I checked... Of, of in case you haven't seen it, of Mikhail Bridges, uh, DeAndre Ayton, and I believe the third, Dwayne Washington Jr., uh, and I believe even Campaign at the end there, all dancing mm-hmm. to uh, Playboy Cardi Nevada, which has been like the song that the yeah. Suns have used in their playlist for a year plus now, um, dancing with a kid pregame. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was a really, really wonderful video. Last I checked, dude, like millions of people have seen that. Yeah, and it's that kind was of... You. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, they they watched it over a million plays on Twitter, but also ESPN reposted it on Instagram and, and I think TikTok too. Bleacher Report reposted the video. Yeah, it's cool because it was just a moment that I saw of Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton in particular and then Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, just going over there and dancing with a kid. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, and this is a song, like you said, that they have danced to before. There was videos that went viral of them dancing to it last year, but this kid that was sitting courtside clearly knew that. And as soon as the song started playing, he took it upon himself to get the attention of DeAndre and Mikhail Bridges. 
and then they just kind of danced with him and that kid was very excited uh it was pretty cool to see yeah and pretty funny that uh that just so happened to be the first thing i saw when i sat down after getting to the arena and i just had a good vantage point of it um but yeah and then i got to see the suns win too which was another great game i think you know we saw deandre Ayton's probably his wake-up game (laughs) after the lakers game where Patrick Beverly shoved him over the best game he had played up to that point of the season, followed it up with another probably better game in the Jazz back-to-back games for the Suns, which they won both. The Suns have been pretty good in back-to-backs throughout the last few years, uh, and they won both of those games, home games. They've played a lot. Of, I feel like they've played a lot of home games this year, right? I don't actually know the total amount of games they played. Um, uh, I know for a fact how many they've played because there was a Nuggets fan. Twelve. Yes, there was a Nuggets fan who was mad in my replies earlier today saying, (laughs) you guys don't deserve to be the one seed. You uh, have played too many home games. So 12 so far. By the way, before anyone gets me, I have to correct myself. I think I said Playboy Cardi. Jesus Christ. (laughs) NBA young boy. NBA young boy. That's yeah. that's that's uh, who Nevada is by. Anyway, sorry. I was going to let it, myself. I was going to let it slide and just let yeah, people but then I attack know, you later. <laughs> I know people were going to attack me later, and it's like my brain. I look. I drove six hours today. My brain's barely working anymore. Cut me yeah. some slack. Anyway, I was going to let him. I was going to let him go at you and pretend like I didn't even notice. Um, <laughs> but DeAndre, let's talk about DeAndre, and I think this is a good time to talk about him because he's been on our minds. I think you and I talked about him. I think two weeks ago about how all of his averages are down basically and and uh in 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 not great ways i think outside of offensive rebounding where he's having a really great season so far which i think we can talk about later as well but i think we finally saw him have great games i i don't think he's had a great game yet (laughs) until that pistons game he's had games where he rebounded well he's had games where he scored relatively well but all of it sort of added up to a mediocre start for deandre and i mean to be honest at times a bad start for DeAndre Ayton. And then we see him come into that Detroit game and he played really well and then followed it up with the jazz game. Like I said, what do you think about DeAndre Ayton in those two games? Uh, absolutely exceptional two games for DeAndre Ayton. And just more generally, I've got the stats here in his last five games. Now uh, he's averaging 20 points, 14 rebounds and three and a half assists per game on 66% field goal shooting. Uh, he racked up, I think, 16 free throw attempts. Uh, I, I think that's the exact number. I don't have the box score, the game log in front of me, but I think it's 16 free throw attempts between the last two games, which for him is great uh, for any center, honestly. That's pretty great. So, yeah, Aiton has been absolutely exceptional, and I'm glad we're revisiting the conversation because I think, you know, the as you said, the last time we had a DeAndre Aiton discussion was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if, like, you know, I don't want to misconstrue kind of what your thoughts were at the time. But I feel like we were more or less on the same page of, like, the general tone of that conversation felt to me not panicked, Mm -hmm. but concerned, like, for both of us. I mean, I was definitely at a point where I was officially concerned uh, about Aiton's effort level at the time. Beyond what, obviously, he had been returning, you know, from an ankle injury and he had missed a couple of games at the beginning of the season. But for me, it felt like it was more than that. Um, and at the time when we had that conversation, really, he was averaging seven rebounds per game. Now he's, like, I think he has double figures in, like, six of the past seven games. And, and like I just said, he's averaging 14 over the past five. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really come a really long way, I think, in the past couple of weeks from... The entire reason we had that first discussion was because it would be one thing if Aiton hadn't, you know, had had kind of come out of the gate this season and and not obviously taken a step forward. 
The reason we were so concerned is because a lot of the stuff that he had slowly come to master over his first four seasons in the NBA, mm-hmm. the um, the the screen setting, yeah. the rebounding, the, the, touch, the drop defense, the, the touch, floater, the hook shot. It felt like a lot of the things that we started to take for granted that he was just always elite at. Uh, even those were areas of his game that were slipping, and a lot of it felt effort based. And credit to him again. The past two games have been absolutely exceptional from him. And uh, I don't know. I just you know I hope it's not reasonable to expect the guy to average thirty and twenty. That's never been the benchmark. You know that's not what we're going for. We've always said that it's also possible for Aiton to have great games where he you know scores fourteen. 15 points so I don't want to make it seem like it's just about points but his physicality the the way that he's imposed mm. himself in the past couple of games it's mm-hmm. it's obvious that he's taken a step up and I just hope he can challenge himself and other people can challenge him to maintain that level because that's really what the Suns need they they really need him to play like kind of that number two best player on the team in order to to go all the way yeah, and and I think interesting about that is the Suns didn't tra- change much about how they played in that time, right? It was about him and his mindset and how he brought it. I think you mentioned the word physicality. Devin Booker said it after the 29-21 and 21 game, which was one of the better games of his career in the regular season, I would say, for DeAndre Ayton. He said it's not even about the 29-21. and 21, It's about the physicality. He specifically mentioned that. Devin Booker, of course a true basketball aficionado, not looking at box scores (laughs) as we talk about it. He's not a box score watcher. He's watching him play, and he's saying it about about DeAndre Ayton. It's not really about the box score for DeAndre Ayton, and I think it's it's true for, uh, for, for us as well. You know, we've talked about that for years. And to see him get out there and be physical... You know, on the boards, I think that's probably one of the more important things is on the rebounds. Uh, but also, you know, going to the rim with intention, dunks. Look, I'm not going to, I'm I'm back in on dunks. I said it, I think, a year and a half ago. <laughs> I'm back in on dunks. I, mean, I used to say it didn't matter, but I, I think it does matter. And I'll talk, I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in just a second. But going to the rim with intention, especially in particular for him, where that sort of non-restricted area paint section where he dominated last year as far as efficiency, he's not right now, right? So he needs to go to the rim to actually get those points that floater not looking so hot for him so far this year. And, you know, last season was it, he was pretty incredible from that floater range. And, you know, so far this season, we're basically just about a quarter of the way through the season. It's not been there for him. And that's a pretty big sample size as far as seasons go. And it's, you know, we're going to find out as the season progresses, whether or not last season was unique in that type of efficiency from that range or if it's something that he can build on going forward. But so far, the results are not great there. So him getting to the rim, beyond that, stepping up closer to the rim, trying to attack, I think it's it's been important for him to do that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's an important point about the dunks that, like, obviously it can kind of turn into an eye-roll-inducing conversation where it's just like, you know, it's in, in some contexts, it's unreasonable. And also, I think we've said in the past, in some contexts, it doesn't really matter the putback uh, context, like if DeAndre Ayton is just getting an offensive rebound, does he need to go up strong with two hands and tear the rim down like he's Shaquille O'Neal, like circa 1992, or can he just lay it up? I think in a lot of a, a lot of situations, it's fine to just lay it up, and it doesn't really affect the percentage all that much. Where the dunks are becoming important, 
and I think you were just hitting on this, is right outside of that restricted area. Because in a lot of these particular pick and roll situations, he's catching the ball five or six feet out, maybe up to eight to 10 feet out even. Um, and just, you know, going up kind of lightly uh, with some weak shit <laughs> isn't always going to work. And, yeah. and, you know, actually, like, I think what we've seen naturally a ton of people on Suns Twitter say over the past couple of games, because we've seen several dunks between these past two games, is uh, that a lot of these kind of one-handed tomahawk off of two feet dunks that we've yeah. seen from DeAndre Ayton recently feel Amari-esque. And, yeah. you know, I think it's I think it's completely bang on. Like, it felt Amari-esque to me too. Because when you go back and look at Amari, like, the thing about Amari as an athlete, he was one of the most explosive athletes we've ever seen in terms of his raw vertical. He wasn't ever the most graceful or flexible. No, like, you know, it was a power he, he was, game. Power he game. Was, it was a power game. It was entirely yeah. a power game. And mm -hmm. and actually, like, Amari is one of the more stiff, like, athletes in terms of <laughs> mobility, I think that... Well, that we saw that on the defensive end, yeah. I, exactly. It's a, it's a huge reason why he was never able to master the defensive end in the first place. But just to go at guys from six to eight feet out and attack forcefully on offense, uh, he was able to do that through pure physicality and pure explosion. And I think Aiton is... Look, they're different athletes in a lot of ways. Uh, but I yeah. do think Aiton is similar in the sense that, you know, he is a little bit stiff. You can't necessarily expect him to just leap off of one foot from anywhere and like kind of contort his body to finish through contact no matter what. Like, I don't think he's just going to start racking up posters left and right. But if he gets set and if he catches in the right spot up to a dribble away, sometimes not even a dribble away, and he has the opportunity to elevate off of two feet. Yeah. It's good to see him have some more confidence to kind of, rather than just finish off with two hands, to go for the one-handed tomahawk. He's going to start catching some bodies if, if he keeps approaching well, the game that way. Okay, just, just to be clear on that, the second step of that is still going up when defenders are out of position, not necessarily just not in his way at all. Because the dunks we've seen have been great, but they have been when he has just a, a sliver of space to get to the rim where nobody's going to touch him. You know, it's a whole different game to start doing it when they are in front of you. They're just not in the position to properly defend you, right? You're going up assuming you're going to be fouled. And that is another step for him, which you can't just assume is going to happen. We've seen him too, too many times to just assume that's the next step naturally for him. He has to start doing that for us to believe he's going to be capable of doing that. So I just I want to make sure that we have the right perspective on this conversation when talking about him because it's easy to be too far one way or too far the other way when talking about him. But I just, I'll, just to add to what you're saying, I bet you can guess which two games were the most dunks he's had this season. The, the last two, two games. Yeah, past, it was, it games. was the Pistons and it was the jazz. It's, it's just not a coincidence. And look, he had, he had four dunks in the jazz game, arguably his best game of the season. I did some work. I did was, some work. Was for there this. a single, and uh, I'm just going off memory here. I don't think a single one was an alley-oop. I think they were no. all catch and traffic and finish. All and, assisted, and I think that's, though, right? All, all assisted. Sure, sure. And well, and I want actually have a point I want to make about that in a minute too. But but just the fact that he's catching in traffic and finishing is yeah. distinctly different from the easy diet. Of, I, right. I don't want to say easy. It's never easy to catch a lob, but you know, it's it's a different type of offensive profile to maybe what we've seen. He's doing past. more, right? He'll his role in that is a little bit more when the ball's in his hands. He's had twenty nine games. 29 games where he dunks four times or more in his career. He averages in those games 
22.1 points per game when he dunks four or more times. He dunked four times in the Jazz game. Not, you know, I don't know. I don't know that this is a coincidence with DeAndre. I'd like to pretend that it is sometimes. But there's a lot of those games. I, I had I had to do this manually, right? So I brought up every single time he's dunked four times, and I had to bring up the box score for all 29 of those games. I logged all of the points manually, and then I figured out the averages on my own. But as I was going through that, you know, you're just going through these games and you're like, okay, 29, okay, 25, okay, 25, okay, 24. And then, okay, 14, oh, but that's his rookie year. Okay, 16, oh, but that's his rookie year. You know, you're just sort of seeing this trend within games that he dunks. The physicality and when he brings that physicality, I think makes a pretty big difference for him. And even to add to that, when he scored 25 or more, he's averaging 13.4 rebounds. And his career average is 10.5, right? It's it's with him when things are locked in, when the little things are locked in, the scoring just sort of comes naturally, right? When he's attacking the rim on those dunks, there is an intention to that. It's not a coincidence that he's attacking the rim on those dunks. And all of those things together, I think, line up for him to have a great game. And this is why I think it's important to talk about with the right perspective with him because 25 points, two games in a row, he's done that a few times in his career. Mm -hmm. I looked it up, you know, I looked it up. Yeah. How many games do you think he's had 25 points? How many times in his career do you think he's had 25 points, three games in a row? I'm going to guess zero. Zero. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, but you know, it's like, because we... And it's not that we're trying to take anything away from him him here, right? It's just kind of like trying to encourage him to maintain the level because we've had the conversation every year where there are two good Aiton games in a row and we kind of come on the podcast and we say, look how awesome he's been. But today, we don't want it. We Sam, don't want that level. We, we don't want that level to disappear again. Today, Zubats had a 29 point. All right, or was it 21? No, 31, 31 and 29 rebound. He, he had 31 point 29 rebound game. You can't get too excited about ridiculous. individual games. Let's not be, let's not be, he's not Zubats. It Who was an no, underrated obviously player. Not, he's obviously a lot. I actually really like Zubats a lot, but it was just another reminder of, okay, yeah, that's what Zubats did in this one game, which is incredible. And I'm not going to hold, you know, say anything other than that because I looked it up. The last time somebody met those two stats, it's only happened twice in the last 40 years by Dwight Howard and Kevin Love. An, an amazing game by Zubats. Wait, wait. Who's matched what? 31 and 29? Yeah. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Drummond, yeah. Drummond never had a... I feel like he got close once or twice. No. Anyway. I'm sure he's had multiple 2020 games, but the, the yeah. 31 points, I think, is, is a limiting factor there where both Dwight Howard and Kevin Love did. The last time before that was 1982. So a long bet, time ago. You know what's crazy? I bet Wilt did that 80 times at least. Yeah, probably. Moses Malone was up there a lot too. Um, but anyway, when talking about DeAndre Ayton, I think it's really important to say he's doing really great in these games. But I also think it's really important to also remember that for DeAndre Ayton to continue to be great, he has to continue to be great. It's not just a given. You know, because he can do this is not a reason to praise him. The reason to praise him is when he does do it. <laughs> and the more consistency that he does it with, the better. It's really important. You know, 20... 25 points, two games in a row. Amazing. Seven or eight times he's probably done it in his career. But it'd be nice to see him do it three times in a row. We're doing this next game on playback, for example. It'd be nice for us to do that on playback and talk about him doing it for the first time in his career three games in a row. 
you know, that would be a really great thing for him. And I'm not Especially, saying that the points are all that matters, right? It's the physicality. It's everything else coming time and time again. It's hard to do that a lot. I want to see a dunk on Sabonis's face in traffic <laughs> Monday night. If you want to have talk they about played, things that have would they be played poetic. since those trade rumors, I don't know if they had. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we play the Kings four times a year, but Sabonis hasn't been on the I mean, he was there after the trade deadline, yeah. He was there <laughs> so, after the trade deadline, so I'm, we must have. I just don't remember those those games in particular. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. I did look up some other 25 points or more stats just out of curiosity. The 13.4 rebounds, I think, is an important stat for him because I think things click. Like I said, when he has intention, when he has focus, it, it, it shows in not just the scoring. It shows everywhere. That's that's three rebounds over his career average. It's pretty significant. Um, this one's kind of odd. When he scores 25 points or more, 16 and 14, the Suns are. You know, I thought that would be a better record. It, it felt like one of those things where, well, if Aiton's scoring, we must be winning because that's just, you know, that's like extra when he's getting 25 or more, but it didn't really show that way. And you keep in mind the Suns were not a great team the first two years of his career. So I'm sure in the last few years, that's probably dramatically different. Yeah, definitely. Like almost any of those games from his rookie season would have been L's. Unfortunately, it's like with Booker um, too. Like if you look at those stats with Booker, (laughs) it's not going to look as great uh, with him as well, but it's just, it's, it's almost, it's nice when Deandre and has a great game like this. It's also can be a little frustrating in, in some other respects uh, because you want to see it, more often from him and I do think it's it is fair for this is what you want from a max player you know like this was the exact conversation people had before he was signed to a max contract the the ability to do this kind of thing not every game but you know consistently enough that he's one of the most important parts of the team offensively as far as even creating for himself that's kind of what you want to see and for him to do it regularly I think would be the most ideal situation for the Suns I mean that's it's really the only way I think the Suns could be like a legitimate 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 contender I mean potentially for years to come if it's something that he can do on a regular basis and and for the amount he's getting paid that's kind of what you want to see well like if him and Mikhail ascended both to top 30 player status then you know without either them becoming like MVP level or anything then yeah you could probably get there too right Mm -hmm. but but it's asking for a lot. Um, can uh, can I give a shout out to a different player still in the context sure, of the Aiden sure. discussion? I want to talk about campaign uh, as a player who I think has really learned to play with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, yeah. Kind of more generally over the past couple of years, but it's just it's, especially it feels like it in the most recent stretch, and it's really nice to see. I don't know if you remember we had a conversation very long ago, but I remember a couple of years ago, I looked up this stat. Mm-hmm. which really surprised me at the time. Yep, and I know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about because I think I've probably brought it up multiple times now. But it's it's a manual stat. They don't track it per se on the NBA's website. I just had to calculate it myself. But I'm calling it like the average number of minutes. <laughs> this is a mouthful. Sorry. The average number <laughs> of minutes shared between two players uh, on the court per assist, uh, which means essentially... If you've got a pairing of campaign and DeAndre Ayton, which is the example I'm going to use here, how many minutes can you expect those two guys to be on the floor together mm-hmm. before you see an assist from campaign to DeAndre Ayton? And to give you a baseline example, first of all, like Chris Paul, master, you know, point God, whatever, has 
I would say at least like more or less mastered the the art of the pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton and is, you know, handling it about as efficiently as you could expect. So just to give a baseline stat, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, that number is about nine and a half minutes. Roughly every nine and a half minutes that Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton share the floor together, you can expect one assist going directly from Chris Paul to DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, there aren't very many going the opposite direction uh, from Aiton to Chris Paul. So nine and a half minutes, that's kind of like the gold standard. That's what we're dealing with this year. Two years ago in the final season, back when campaign was, for the most part, you know, a bench player only. I'm not even sure if he started a single game that year. A good bench player. A good bench player, but didn't have as much opportunity to play with DeAndre Aiton. Even in the playoffs, we, we, I think, saw the effects of that. Uh, Throughout that entire regular season, he played 350 minutes sharing the court with DeAndre Ayton and turned that into only 10 assists, which using our stat, it was nine and a half minutes for Chris Paul. It was 35 minutes <laughs> for campaign and DeAndre yeah. Ayton two years yeah. ago. That's the stat that you remembered. A guy who had completely not figured out, I think at the time, how to play with DA, mm-hmm. understanding that Chris was the guy who wanted to snake the pick and roll and kind of fade out into space and take the mid-range. And as a result, Aiton was rolling hard to the basket because he wanted to collect that pocket pass or that alley-oop. Campaign, an entirely different archetype, a player who, who wants to use his speed to get ahead, the two just hadn't figured it out. I think we saw a lot of improvement last year, and the stats reflect that. And this year, even more improvement. And that number now is down to 14 minutes yeah. uh, this season. The two have shared the floor for 281 minutes total. Campaign has converted that into 20 assists. So an average of 14 minutes. Every 14 minutes that Campaign and DeAndre Ayton share the floor, we see one assist going from Payne to Ayton. And for Ayton, I think it's all about the trailing, like learning to trail the pick and roll, allow Payne to get the early penetration. Maybe the Suns are going to empty out the corner like they like doing to to make you know campaign's job even easier. But then Aiton is getting much much better about trailing those actions and collecting the pass. And again, just to to bring it all home, what we've been saying in this entire conversation today on the podcast, like if he's going to keep getting those passes, catching eight or ten feet out, and he's going to approach each rep with the same physicality and the same forcefulness. Uh, he, he's going to keep getting yeah. those assists for campaigns. So I just want to give them a shout out because I, you know, I think the chemistry between those two has really, yeah, really, really improved uh, versus you know what I what I used to notice between the two of them. I I also think that you know, first of all, I'll, I'll say two things. I think DeAndre has done a good job catching passes a little below his waist recently, and I don't know if there's something that's happened with the way that he's been coached or some sort of mindset shift where somebody said, hey, try to be more ready for the pass or I don't know what it is or for them to have better chemistry for that. But he's done a good job and and that works. But also on the other side of that, Chris Paul is such a master at finding angles on assists in ways that nobody else on the Suns can do. So even though that number for campaign is such a large number, even in comparison to Chris Paul's, I think that what the Suns have done recently is just reverse the ball a little bit more to try to get it to DeAndre Ayton. So when DeAndre Ayton has a mismatch, instead of immediately making the point guard try to pass the ball to him, they're reversing the ball to the other side of the court, giving it to a player that's taller, and that player is now lobbing it into DeAndre Mm -hmm. Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton, to his credit, when he's catching it in those short post roles, he's no longer turning... He's uh, I'm not going to say he's no longer doing this. For two games... He's not turning those shots into further away shots, which is something that he tends to do, right? He catches it in the post and then he shoots a shot further away from that. 
He's still doing the turnaround jumpers a decent amount, but he's making them too, so I'm not going to complain too much about it. Yes, he is doing that, but there have been more instances of him trying to use physicality in the post to get closer to the rim, which are all things I think Suns fans were asking. There was a moment where he did it to Laurie Markkinen. He put oh, his he shoulder down him. into him, right? Got into the he paint and shot him. a really sh- really short layup, essentially. Right? He turned a post up into a layup. And, you know, more often uh, for Is him that, to do that would be great for the Suns. There was another play. Was it on Markkinen or was it on Kelly Olynyk, where he, like, gave him a little elbow and, and whichever player it was kind of started feeling his shoulder like, holy shit. Yeah, I think <laughs> you know, it was like, Kelly, re- yeah. Realizing the effects of what this guy could do to them, like, at Make full force, him- just like... Make him feel you. You know that's really what it is. Yeah. Play with force. You want them to be sore after you play against DeAndre Ayton. That's the goal. And you By know the way, you, you fading away from that contact over and over, creating a post shot and then making it a further away shot. It's just not going to work as far as that goes. You know, that physicality and that pain that Kelly Olynyk feels. It, it affects the rest of the team as well because maybe he's not as focused or not as uh, good on that jump shot. One last thing about campaign, by the way. How do we feel about the turbo nickname that they're uh, trying to co-sign on the broadcast? Um, it really highlights how slow Chris Paul is, I think. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't mind it. I, I yeah. guess it's it's difficult. It's new, right? He's not allowed to be CP. You know, that's always kind of been the the issue with yeah. Cam. So I, I think there's. They've had to try and find a, a nickname for him. But <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, Turbo is new. I mean, look, it, it works. Is, it describes his game. He's fast. Yeah. He is fast. And Cam, he's, he's pl- Campaign he, he, is such a great name. And you know, his name is Cameron Payne. Doesn't that sound weird? No one says that. <laughs> it's Cameron Payne. What if we just started calling him Cameron Payne on the podcast only? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. People would be like, like who are they talking about? And Cameron Johnson. Well, sometimes actually you can, sometimes you can tell a person who hasn't watched the Suns in like three years because if they say Cameron Payne, <laughs> you, you know, cause it's like, if you watch the broadcast, no one says Cam, Cameron Payne. <laughs> but like, if you, if you see someone, I don't know, making a video or like, you know, just talking on Twitter or whatever about the team and they say Cameron Payne, then, uh, I don't know. Just no one calls him that. Not that I have noticed anyway. Maybe his parents do. It's it's at least. Are you Michael to your parents? I am. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you're, am, Mike, yeah. you're Michael to your parents? Not just my parents, actually. Basically, everyone in my immediate family and my slightly extended family, I am Michael to. And then be outside of that, uh, I'm just Mike to everyone else. So yeah, yeah. Hmm. Which is actually kind of nice to have like a different name for your family. So when someone calls your name, you know who it is. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of nice. Um, which I guess some people have with nicknames the other way around. Their family calls them a nickname. Everyone else calls them their real name, but it's a little different for me. Um, De- or I should say Devin Booker tweeted about being hungover on Thanksgiving and then played two kind of bad games. That's <laughs> 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 at least a little bit funny, right? <laughs> also, have we have we talked about on the pod yet? Um, he deleted he- the tweet too, by the way. Of course he did because yeah. he, he always comes to his senses. Have we talked about on the pod yet? Isn't isn't it over between him and Kendall? That's right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Then he are goes out really and gets do, drunk. Are we really going to do this? Do we need to stretch out the episode sufficient? Like, do we need to spend the next 10 <laughs> I minutes have things. talking about them? I don't know. Do you have a thought on that? I really don't have any other thought other than I feel kind of bad because yeah, I mean, hard. I, f- I feel kind of bad because breakups are hard and they were actually together years, for, right? you know, Almost for two, two years. years. So I don't want to joke about it too hard. I don't know. Like, do we... <laughs> <laughs> as i proceed to make a joke about it how does this impact devin booker's legacy no it's like how you know how how does it affect him on the basketball court i guess that's the best thing that that we're usually kind of decent at talking about um, um i could I say excuse, it i imagine I, they probably if we heard about it recently which was like what two weeks ago maybe it's yeah. probably been like over a month or more than that that they've probably been broken up so i don't know i don't know dude those Pro- TMZ, honestly tmz is pretty fast breaking pretty up fast. with someone sucks but also the part where everybody finds out is almost worse um so maybe maybe it was when the tmz story broke is almost worse uh as far as i don't know maybe we should do a a pre-kendall post-kendall stat uh comparison uh once we have a larger sample size to see how it's affecting the game i'm game i'm game but ever since they started dating the suns have been very good you know the first time we saw them was what right before the bubble then the suns go eight no they trade for chris paul they make the nba finals she's been a good luck charm she was a little good luck charm for sure, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we'll see. I want to talk about rebounding. Uh, it's it's funny because the Suns have been. I don't know. Would you categorize the Suns as a bad rebounding team? Um, as at least leading up to this season. <clears throat> yeah, uh, leading up to this season, I kind of would. I was going to say this year. I know what the stats say. Yeah, <laughs> so right. not quite. I figured you did. But, but um, but yeah, leading up to this year, I would have classified them as a below average rebounding team, not as a horrendous rebounding team, but just one where I definitely had it circled as like obvious area of concern as you approach the playoffs, as you start to play bigger and more physical teams that you know are going to beat up on you over over the course of a seven game series. They're not that anymore. Isn't that kind of crazy? I feel like this is something that we didn't really talk about. I've always been sort of less concerned with rebounding because I do think there is this sort of reverse correlation between shooting and rebounding. And it's rare that you have a really great shooting team that's also a really great rebounding team. So I always prioritize in my mind. I always prioritized shooting over rebounding. So as much as I would like it, if the Suns don't get out rebounded on a regular basis, I would prioritize shooting as far as, you know, Cameron Johnson in the starting lineup, for example. But this season, the Suns are now fifth in offensive rebound percentage. Last year, they were 21st in offensive rebound percentage. And then as total rebound percentage goes, they're ninth this year. So actually in the top 10, of total rebound percentage and rebound percentage, right? I don't like to use rebounds per game because that's pace related. Rebound percentage is, is sort of normalizes for pace. It's a better way to look at total rebounding just in case anyone's wondering why I'm using that. Last year, they were 13th. So they they're, they moved up from top 10. By the way, last year, 13th in total rebound percentage surprised me as well, meaning they were above average last year in total rebound percentage. I was surprised. I think I it's, the t- it's a type of thing when you follow a contender the little issues that you kind of magnify yeah. and blow out of proportion. It, it you know, you like take something that the team is average at instead of elite at, and you're like, we suck at this, but you don't actually <laughs> suck at it. It's just, you know, once you get into the playoffs, it gets harder. That's, that's really all it is. I, I do think that like uh, obvious, obvious, obvious difference is Tory Craig, right? That's, that's yeah, like the yeah. main thing that probably 
makes the difference for the Suns. But beyond that, I actually think the Suns have just been more intentional about their rebounding. Uh, Because if you look across the board, DeAndre Ayton's offensive rebounding percentage is higher. In fact, David had some great stats on that if you guys find that on his Twitter page. But Booker's is higher. Torrey Craig's is higher than last year. Mikael Bridges has a higher offensive rebounding percentage than last year. Total rebound percentage, basically all of the players are higher outside of maybe Cameron Payne, but basically all of the wings and the bigs have higher uh, total rebound percentage across the board as well. Now, keep in mind, JaVale McGee was like the best on the Suns at that percentage, and he is gone. So I think that makes a difference. But when Cameron Johnson was in the starting lineup, Torrey Craig and Jock Lando were just getting after every single offensive rebound, fighting for those rebounds over and over and over again with intention. But I do think the Suns have put a higher emphasis specifically on offensive rebounding this year, but overall on rebounding as players, individual players, in Mikael Bridges, in Devin Booker. I think there has been more of an intention to grab those rebounds. Do you agree with that? Yes, um, and I think it goes twofold. I think it's systematic and the sense of of the way that they're being coached. And I think that reflects in the internal development, the numbers that you were just pointing at. Uh, But also externally, I think James Jones really made it a priority, actually, to add role players who, look, maybe at the end of the day, they're not exactly known for their offensive rebounding as like the first thing you think about. But Jock Landale, like you said, Mm -hmm. when he plays, is rebounding the hell out of the ball. Super high Um, effort, yeah. Josh Okogie was brought in. He is a, what is he, 6'5", 6'4"? Like, he is a pretty small guy. His offensive rebounding numbers, and I know he he doesn't play a ton. He plays like 10 minutes a game when he does play. Some fun minutes the past few games, though. Fun minutes. Still can't hit a shot to save his life. He's hit one three (laughs) so far this season. (laughs) But he rebounds, right? He definitely rebounds. Damian Lee... Uh, you know, not known as a rebounder. Mostly I think of him yeah. right now as the guy who shoots a thousand percent on clutch threes, but you know, he can grab an offensive rebound and, and is doing a good job of it this year as well. So yeah, I, I think it was a focus all around. And you know, all of that with DeAndre Ayton's total rebound percentage, actually it's down a tiny bit from last season, you know, not a massive amount. It's essentially equal to last season as far as total rebound percentage. So, you know, the Suns being a great rebounding team, well, DeAndre, you know, by the numbers, has technically gotten a little worse, I think is is kind of something that I didn't really anticipate being the case. And I think the offensive rebounding-wise, it's nice for the Suns to find ways to get, specifically without Chris Paul, it's nice for the Suns to find ways to get extra possessions. Because the thing about Chris Paul, and we'll talk about the Suns winning without Chris Paul in just a second, but... The thing about Chris Paul is when you have an offensive possession with Chris Paul, there's a good chance you're like maximizing the outcome of that possession because Chris Paul is a psychopath (laughs) that sort of just analyzes everything and tries to maximize based on the way the defense is playing you. Without Chris Paul, the Suns have still done a good job, but they're not going to be able to do it in the same way. So for them to, the possession battle in their way was maximizing every possession but the possession battle without him will be maybe we need a few more to continue to win games. So to be able to find extra possessions in the offensive rebounding and just not just overall, has there been a game this season where it just feels like, wow, the Suns can't gra- grab a single rebound? <laughs> you know, I don't feel like there really um, has been. Maybe Orlando was that yeah, not one, not one that I feel comes like to they out rebounded Orlando. 
Not one that comes to the top of my head. There probably have been, though. We I'm haven't played honest. Toronto yet, right? So <laughs> we'll see what happens against Toronto. Well, who's even number one in the stat this season? I think it was like Detroit. Weirdly. Is it who we'd expect? I think it's Detroit. I, I, you know, let me bring it up. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great question because it's just a nice thing for the Suns. It's nice to not have to complain about that. <laughs> you know, like you know, offensive. This is not the exact stat, but for offensive rebounding percentage. Wait, were you looking at total rebounding percentage or offensive? Both. First of all, okay. Yeah. For offense, I mean, well, where we got killed was offensive rebounding percentage, so that's a good one to look at. Yeah, where the Suns are fifth. The Rockets, the Raptors are second, so when we play them, that's obvious. Yeah. The Rockets are first, which I guess kind of makes sense because they that's have, right. you know, they I have knew a lot it was of a tanking team. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it also they kind play of big like, wings. It kind of just shows your point, though, right? Of like, well, you know, if we can't shoot and we throw up a thousand bricks, <laughs> the Raptors then we have, do. We have to, we yeah. have to collect some of them, right? And even the Suns with Tory Craig <laughs> in the starting lineup, you're sacrificing shooting, so he has to do something else. You know, it's Rockets, for the record, I have it up to Rockets, Raptors, Grizzlies, Jazz, and then the Suns are in yeah, the top tracks. five. And that you tracks. go beyond that, the Hornets, the Knicks, the Bucks, the Pistons, and the Pacers. If we're really saying, really saying good teams for sure, you could say the Suns, you can say the Bucks for sure. In that, you know, it's not always a, a good, uh, it doesn't always correlate to teams being great. Shooting matters more. Um, but yeah, th- that's still a stat where the Suns have struggled a lot in the past, and and they're looking really good in that stat so far. I think it, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see because Cameron Johnson's the worst rebounder of that <laughs> of the forwards for sure. And when he steps into the starting lineup, they're going to feel like it a, a little bit with with Tory Craig out because Tory Craig, uh, you know, he's just really that's his best. That's probably his best skill, right? Rebounding, absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, of course it is, but you know. Also, when Cam Johnson steps into the starting lineup, we know there's going to be like a plus thirty net rating swing. Just yeah, because it's, like it's what it just is. We've it's just seen what it, it is. Like yeah, it, it, it's exactly what you're saying, man. Shooting, I'm going to take shooting over rebounding if I can only choose between the two any yeah. day of the week. You still need to be solid, and 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 really, your five needs to hold it down, which is yeah. why yeah. Going back to Aiton one more time in this episode, like it's so critical that he's been the guy who's who's really kind of held it down. It's, for it's the Suns more. This I season. would say it's more important than than ever for the five to be a great rebounder because of the way four stretch the floor. Although mm-hmm. you want to know technically who's leading the Suns in offensive rebounds uh, per thirty six oh. this season? Uh, is it like Dario Saric? <laughs> it is. It is Dario Saric. Congratulations! <laughs> I think I saw that earlier because I'm. I was looking at that and I was like, "Oh, I'm not even going to bring that up." <laughs> Dar- Dario Saric with his natural uh, physical gifts, his his advantages. Well, that he's playing, he has the four. playing the four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's he towers part of it over too. them. Yeah. <laughs> he's if he's got one thing at the four, it's that he's t- usually taller than whoever else is on him. And even then, in that case, I don't know. He's not that tall. Um, by the way, I'm looking at, since I have this page up, I'm looking at the net net ratings and this is something that you and I wanted to talk about. Uh, the Suns still have the, the second best net rating, uh, in the NBA and second only to the Boston Celtics, by the way, the Boston Celtics, other than Danilo Gallinari have been pretty healthy and, uh, they're still pretty much neck and neck with the Suns. Cleveland Cavaliers now just below the Suns. Cavaliers kind of held it down above the Suns for a while there, but now they're not. And those, I think you'll recognize those two teams that are in the closest contention with the Suns when it comes to net rating here. Eastern Conference teams. 
which has been kind of interesting. So this is something that you and I wanted to talk about. And we'll start by saying this. The Suns are number one in the Western Conference at the moment of recording this. They're number one in the Western Conference. Wild. Without, you know, Cameron Johnson's missed games, Chris Paul's missed games, uh, Jay Crowder, his roster spot, his salary is literally nothing. He's missed all all 19 games the Suns have played so far. He's brought nothing uh, to the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's and, you facts. Know, it's, it, is a, it is an objective fact. He's brought nothing. Yeah. So it is kind of interesting to think because... You know, the Suns 13 and 6, that's a good record. 11 and 1 at home. They play 12 home games. I think that's an important point to bring up when it comes to uh, that in particular. Uh, but I think that you and I both are sort of surprised in that the way the Suns are playing, they're still the number one overall seed. It's not uh it's not a record that you would think would be the number one. The Boston Celtics, number one in the East, 16 and 4. You know, that's that's a little better <laughs> when it comes to that seems more like it. And I think just in general, when I was thinking about this conversation, it just feels like the West is kind of underperforming. Or how would you course, describe yeah. what's happening here? Yeah, we're mid the Western <laughs> Conference. After, is it just I mean, more parody, though? Like, is it really yes, that they're bad it, or is it more it parody? Is, it is, which is awesome. And, and I think this is the crisis that everyone around the league is having right now, whether you cover the league nationally or whether you're a single team schmuck like us we're all struggling with this idea of like how do you sell parody because this is yeah. awesome we haven't experienced parody like this in the nba in my at least in, probably in the western conference my entire life mike it's never been like this yeah right it's never been like this but you, you know like these dynasties these teams that go out there and they win 65 70 games those dynasties and you know and then win championships obviously not fizzle out in the second round like the suns did last year those teams uh sell and they get really really good ratings and so i think you know the nba is struggling a little bit but if you're a true fan of basketball like parody is a great thing it's just mm -hmm. here are the top four teams in the west by net rating right now it's the phoenix suns at plus seven the new orleans pelicans at plus 5.5 who i still think you know at full strength watch out that team's gonna be great they we, just got uh, beat by like 40 points <laughs> a few days ago tonight oh a few days ago yeah, yeah. and that but, that net rating was probably a lot higher before that probably but you know it's still there it's still good plus 5.5 still very good number Fourth three yeah. number three by net rating in the western conference the 500 dallas mavericks who are the 11th seed right now the 11th seed and they're a yeah. plus 2.5 and that makes them the third best team in the western conference by net rating and the fourth best team in the western conference is the team we're playing uh tomorrow night join us on playback the sacramento kings at plus yeah. 1.9 and then well, you've the got jazz these, are there right above them right uh i might be i'm using the basketball reference uh, that's version, right that's right might yeah. be might be slightly they're basically equal the than jazz the NBA. and the kings right now the jazz and the kings are four and five yeah uh and then you know you get into the teams like uh the grizzlies, grizzlies and the nuggets, nuggets and whatever that are nuggets, basically number two by the way the nuggets are no, currently number two they're a fake two seed in the western conference with a 0 0.9 net rating they're basically playing by like a team that's just over 500 uh you know a 43 win team or whatever and uh they're still currently the number two seed now that i think that is bolstered by the fact that they played a lot of bad teams early in the in the season and the schedule for them is going to get a lot more difficult but they are 12 and 7 right under the suns right now and by the way six and four in their last 10 which is exactly 
what the Suns are. The only teams that are better than six and four in the last ten, because you talk about six and four in the last ten, that's what the Suns are, and they're the number one seed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about. The Kings were seven and three in their last ten. The Warriors also finally getting a little hot. Seven and three in their last ten. And you think about teams like the Lakers celebrating their most recent stretch. By the way, they're the thirteenth seed. Garbage. Yeah. Five and five. They're cooked. That's what they're, they're celebrating. They're, they're you know, done. like this they're, is where we're at with with who they are. Yeah, the Lakers were never a serious threat, though. I I, I think yeah. you know, but they're still underperforming at the very least at they the, are. They the are. expectations of their fans, which I guess are always Just a little bit out of control. To drive the point home. The Suns are the number one seed in the Western Conference right now. As of today, maybe it gets better when they get healthier and make a trade. I don't know. But as of today, they are on a 56-win pace. 56 wins. That's yeah. still good. Well, it's, you know, I did say before the season when we are talking about the over-unders. I what said, was this, our this over-under feels like, again? Was I it think like it was 54 and a half yeah. maybe. And I remember I said, I think I feel like the Suns could go under and still win the conference. And then yeah, we had well, this long discussion about how that never happens, which was true. And we looked up the last time it happened. It was one of the Spurs years in like 2012 or something like that. Well, I looked it up. Random year. What happened? I looked it up exactly again. Did, can yeah. you tell me the last time? I'll give you a chance. The last time a number one seed in the Western Conference won 56 games or less. 56 games or less. I'm 56. guessing. That's not very many. Is it 13, 14? No. Are you looking just the Western Conference, by the way? Just the Western Conference. Okay, that helps me the, out. A the little East bit. is tends to be a little weaker. Might be. Yeah. Different. Is it before that or after that? It's, it's before, before that. that, isn't it? Okay. Is it is it the Spurs? No. Okay, then I have no idea. <laughs> I really it have no is. idea. The last time a number one seed in the Western Conference won fifty six games or less, the nineteen eighty four Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> who went. 54 and 28. They lost to Larry Bird's Celtics in seven games in the NBA Finals yeah. at a time when the NBA had like 20 teams. The Western Conference, uh, I, I guess, more than that because the Western Conference had 12 teams at the time. So the NBA must have been 24 teams. That is the last time. That was almost 40 years ago that the Western Conference had a number one seed that was just by win percentage, just by wins, technically this week. Now, there there have been some years that have come close, however. Perhaps the most recent being just a few years ago, the Western Conference in um, 2019, the Warriors won 57 games. They were the one seed. That was the year they lost to Toronto in the finals. Um, But they Mm -hmm. only won 57 games, obviously, because A, they were dealing with some injuries, despite the fact that they had the world's greatest, the universe's greatest super team. Um, Mm -hmm. But also they just didn't care about the Mm -hmm. regular season because why would they? And then all other playoff teams in the Western Conference that year won between 48 and 54 games. Remember, that was also the year where, like, the Blazers made the Western Conference Finals and got swept. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, it was the mm-hmm. Warriors mm-hmm. were an inevitability, but there were some other technically interesting teams in the Western Conference uh, to track. This year's Western Conference maybe feels a little bit like that one as well, except mm-hmm. for the Warriors' inevitability part, because really there is no team that it's just like, is a super team where everyone's like, yeah, that's the team that's going to the finals. They're just, we're just waiting just, for them to kick it into gear. I just want to talk about what you think might change by the end of the season here, because I do think it's interesting. The Suns are number one. When, you know, guys get back and healthy. We still, Chris Paul's out the next game. We know that, but you know, we're on a, we're on a game to game basis with Chris Paul where they clearly know he's not going to be back on a game to game basis, but they're not letting <laughs> us know he's out until the day Assholes. before the game assholes dude thank god thank god campaign is actually 
playing well. Cause but we know Cameron Johnson is going to come back eventually and we'll see how he plays. I mean, there is reason to be optimistic about how he plays. By the way, I'm going to quick quickly mention this since we had a conversation about it on the podcast. Cameron Johnson said he got the snip, if you will, on his meniscus based on the doctor's recommendations of how he would uh, recover afterwards. So him saying it was not necessarily a decision based on his ability to return faster. It was more of a recommendation by the doctor, which I think in some respects sounds like good news. I'm sure there might be something I'm missing within that as far as uh, what that means beyond that, but it sounds like good news. So we'll see how he ends up coming back from that. So we'll say the Suns, I think they're probably going to be based on if they start to get healthier in contention for the number one seed. I don't expect, just based on the way other people have played, I'm not really expecting them to drop too far from that. Maybe top three. Top, I think they're going to have home court advantage. What do you think? It's hard to say because one losing streak and suddenly you're the eighth seed. You know, I just said the Mavs are one of the best teams by net rating and they're the, they're, what did you say? They're 10th? They're 11th. 11th. They're out of the play-in right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, I mean, like, I, I don't want to promise. But the net rating points to the Suns being really great. It does. You know, like it does. It, it, it does. It's not a net rating thing for the Suns where you're looking at them, like the Nuggets, for example, where you're looking at them where they are and saying, I don't think they're going to stay there. The, the net rating for the Suns put them at second in the NBA, second only to Boston. We just you know, we so, need to continue to trust them as a team that can close out close games and win clutch games. And yeah. especially once Chris Paul comes back, I think they can do that. I think they've been doing well enough so far uh, this year regardless. If Chris Paul comes back, Cameron, John, or Cameron Payne keeps playing as well as he has, that's a really nice uh, look for the Suns as far as... Uh, starters and bench and it'll be interesting to see what happens there i guess so the just, nuggets at number two though are we anticipating yeah. them i think they could actually be the number two seed when it's all I said mean, and done wait until jamal murray comes back dude they could be number <laughs> one it's, it's, somebody was still <laughs> mad in my mentions about that by the way <laughs> sorry I, I couldn't resist it's too uh, tempting they're 12 and 7 like like we mentioned earlier when you look at their overall net rating they're 13th in the NBA. They're barely over. They're barely positive in the net rating. You know, a few teams down is the Clippers who are now a negative net rating. You know, like, I, I don't know. But I still think when I look at the rest of these teams, I think, I don't know. Maybe the Nuggets are going to be up there. Do you think that's going to flip or what do you think? Yeah, they could totally be up there. And they're, they're, the not, they're not a team that I would bet on to, you know, be in the plan for let's, sure. Let's I just talk about I don't know these if they'll next, be second. Let's talk about these next four as a group here. Grizzlies, Pelicans, Clippers, and Kings. Now, Grizzlies, I think they just seem to win. They're 12 and 8 currently. Pelicans, 11 and 8. Pelicans are the one team that you can point at in this group and say they're maybe underperforming their overall net rating. Then you got the Clippers, who are clearly not what anyone expected them to be so far this season and then the kings who just the same in the same way are not what you expected them to be but maybe in a better way uh, at 10 and 8 who are uh in i mean they have a winning record right now which you know a lot of teams do nine teams in the west have a winning record but the kings are one of them i, I don't know i think if i had to pick a team to drop out of this i mean history Everyone. says you should probably pick the kings right <laughs> Everyone will say the Kings, uh, yeah. but I am rooting for the Kings. And and but just by Except the way, Monday, I'm, yeah. I'm excited for that matchup, though. You know, apparently De'Aaron Fox is good again. I guess everyone gave up on him last year, and and now he's good again. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously they they've got Sabonis. Malik Monk is a guy who's been killing it this yeah. season for them. Yeah. He's always a guy where it just felt like obvious to me that more teams should be interested 
in Barnes uh, in is a, getting better in a player better. like him. Yeah, Barnes. I mean, I I still don't understand that thing you said a couple weeks ago about apparently he's untouchable, but he has been playing better. <laughs> um, if a coach likes you, it goes a long ways. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I'm rooting for the Kings. I really hope we do. I hope they break the streak this year. I mean, I honestly, I kind of feel like the Clippers might drop a little bit. Yeah, they might. Then you have I, the Portland Trailblazers next at seven, and it's and almost. And this is without Damian Lillard. They've played a, quite a few games without Damian Lillard. If he comes back healthy, the Blazers could start playing better, and 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 actually jump a few play a few teams in the standings if it's Lillard a, it's comes a, back. It's a tragic story with the Clippers. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I feel too bad for them or their fan base after some of the battles we've had, but. It is a tragic story in the sense that here's an organization that I really think just did a phenomenal job over the past 18 months of acquiring as much depth as possible mm-hmm. and getting these role players who know their roles uh, and, and are totally 100% capable of fulfilling them. But the idea of the Clippers as a, as a championship contending team was always contingent on eventually Kawhi Leonard had to come back and he had to be that guy. He had to once, he, you know, he had to still be a top 10 player in the NBA and they're going to go as far as he takes them. So far, I, that has I not think been very far. The way that Zach Lowe said it, I thought was kind of interesting. You know, the the Clippers do have a lot of role players, but the Suns have a lot of players that would be their third best player. You know, when it comes to role players. And there is a difference in, in between what a role player can be. Like, there's a difference between Mikel Bridges, who everyone assumes as a role player, and, and any of the role players yeah, and like a, you know? a Terrence Mann or yeah. you know someone who's just not yeah Robert Covington not flexible or versatile or Nicholas to the same Batum yeah. yeah you know there's there's varying degrees of role players and they're they have a lot of role players that are pretty good but they're not great and I think that's they're also older and I think that is something that's affecting them a little bit you know I could see them dropping I could see the Grizzlies dropping a little bit but I am not confident in the Grizzlies in that I just haven't watched them that much this season so I'm not sure if that record reflects what they actually are or not. Um, and then you have the Jazz. The Jazz are three and seven in their last ten. Is it finally starting with the Jazz? Or are they finally free falling? <laughs> Mike Conley's the, been out a little bit, so that affects them a little bit. Mike Conley actually has been great this year. Look, yeah. I think the cracks are showing with that team, but I could still see them. I mean, we may have just seen a preview. They're the eighth seed right now uh, of our first round matchup. Totally feasible that that could happen. And yep. uh, if it does, watch out because. It has only been close one point battles between the Suns and the Jazz for the past year. <laughs> I now, like so them. I, I like how fun. they're coached. I think they're a fascinating team. Uh, and then the Warriors seven th- seven and three in their last ten. It seems they're going like to come finally, back. They're, they're you know what they back. did? They kicked Wiseman to the curb, and they're playing yeah, so much sucks. better. He was getting killed. He's and he's getting killed in the G League. He's not good. He, he's not a good player. Uh, yeah, you know, I, they, they really messed up. They tanked a whole season to pick a bad player who played not at all. And it's one of the most bizarre decisions that we've seen a team with the generally good front office make. You know, Kaminga at least is getting minutes in this stretch. You know, Wiseman has just been bad. He's bad. He's not good. And lastly, yep. we'll talk about this. these two. The 10th and the 11th are Minnesota and Dallas. Minnesota's not going to make the play-in, right? <laughs> are we at the point where... Are we more confident that the Jazz will make the play-in than, than the Minnesota Timberwolves? It almost pains me to say it, but if there's any team that you wanted me to like short their stock right now and just bet against from now till the end of the season, yeah, it's probably Minnesota. I don't know if they're going to figure it out, man. I, I Five just, and five I, in their last ten. I have not been... Yeah, I mean, they have good nights individually, but I have not been remotely impressed in, on the particular games that I check in on them. Uh, and yeah. yeah, compared to a team like Golden State, where it just feels like, as you were just talking about... 
smartly managed, uh, you know, has a really bad bench, but feels like they could just make one or two minor moves at the deadline to fix up their bench a little yeah. bit, and then they'll shoot right back up the standings. Minnesota's the opposite problem. Their starters are getting fucking killed. <laughs> yeah. Who is it that they just played? Didn't they just lose today to someone? And They did, and they looked bad. They just... Oh, actually... Speak of the devil, they they just lost to Golden State by twenty three today, and all of their starters were like a minus thirty, and <laughs> just you know they. Uh, that's the worst matchup for them, and it's funny to think about vibes are not good guys, in Minnesota. With guys like Gobert and Jokic, to some extent, like big lumbering guys who are trying to play defense, they they specifically Gobert, they kind of kill bad teams with the way that they play defense, and then you talk about the matchup against a team like the Warriors. That's that's really bad for the Timberwolves. And and to some extent, the Suns, too, when they're fully healthy with all the guards that can attack with speed um, or just being smart, like Chris Paul. And those are the kinds of teams that they're going to play in the playoffs. Like, it might be the Memphis Grizzlies. It might be the Sacramento Kings. It might be the Portland Trailblazers if the Minnesota Timberwolves even make it there. And even on the other side of that, Denver Nuggets as well could be playing one of those teams in the first round. And it's just going to be interesting to see how they adjust defensively because I just don't see how the Minnesota Timberwolves are built to play against a lot of these Western Conference teams. And what are they going to do? Like, what do they do if they end the, end the year as the 11th seed and they traded five picks for a player where it's clearly not working out? That's going to be a fascinating story. Possibly a regime change or, yeah, I mean, it's going to be ugly. Uh, as we start to wrap up here, though, bring it back to the Suns real quick. I just want to say, unless you have any other teams you wanted to cover. No, no, no. Quickly. I mean, I don't really want to talk about the Lakers. They're there, though. They suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Mavericks, too. The Mavericks will probably oh, go up in the standings, I think. Yeah, the Mavs are to be respected. Uh, that doesn't mean Luka should get MVP. We'll, we'll get to that conversation uh, at another point. Look, as this all relates to the Suns, I guess here's my final thoughts on it, and then you can tell me if you feel the same or, or differently, but we've established, I think, in this kind of mini-conversation that there is no team that's just owning the West right now. There is no big bad to be entirely fearful of. That absolutely does not mean that now is the time to get cocky, you know? Like, that, uh, just, no. because, that just because the Suns... Uh, have been able to to manage these situations so far that they should cut their losses on Jay Crowder as soon as possible for a 60% return. Right. Right. And then just, you know, that's your roster for the rest of the year. And, and then we're good boys. Let's ride into the playoffs. Now is the time, if you ask me, now is the time to strike. And, you know, but by now, yeah. I mean... Or soon. <laughs> by, no, sorry. Soon by is now, the time to strike. Soon you know, is that, the time to strike. That famous phrase, yeah. By February 15th, <laughs> or whenever the trade deadline is. Not right now, right now. I think they could manage for a few more weeks or whatever. But make you still got to make a trade this year. You know, we yeah. still see the weaknesses on this current team. It's, it'd be uh, one and, thing and if... we still need to be in a better position, I think, to, to truly be that team that just dominates the rest of the conference. If the Suns are playing like they were last year, and the Western Conference look like it does right now, I'd feel pretty good. But they're not, and they're not fully healthy, and they don't have the same kind of depth, and the West is still not great. So it's it's just a different, you know, there are going to be teams, that, this is going to be an interesting trade deadline in general now that you bring it up because how wide open it feels right now. And, uh, and you know, the Suns want to be the ones on the right end of that. And if they can play well without players that can actually work in a trade, then that puts them in a pretty good position. I'm They'll, just... Mm -hmm. 
I'm disappointed. Like I was promised a Wemby tank race. Yeah. And the problem with the trade well, deadline I mean, right now is the like Spurs third- and the Rockets are, are <laughs> they're yeah, involved great. in that. That's great. They definitely are. But like 13 of these teams still think they're in it. And that's kind of, you know, as we talked <laughs> yeah. about in the past, that's the issue with the play in in general. But hopefully some of these teams start nosediving because we need them yeah. to give up already and, and, and sell off their decent players to us. The Mavericks only have one more win than the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. You know, like, are they going to keep letting SGA play on that team and keep them out of the race? Or maybe it doesn't matter, right? Maybe the Lakers pass the Thunder and they're still in the bottom three in the West. But, you know, yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be interesting to see. Maybe the Thunder trade Kenrich or Lou Dort instead of SGA and the Suns can get in on one of those guys instead to try to slyly tank without getting rid of one of their best players or their best player. You know, that'll be an interesting thing to keep track of. The team that one of the teams that won seven and three in their last ten, the Sacramento Kings, they're playing the Suns on Monday. If you're listening to this on Monday, join us on playback because we're gonna do that game. We're playback. testing the curse in two ways, right? Is yes. it is it does it exist? Which it feels like it does. And two, <laughs> <laughs> is it only a Friday curse? <laughs> That's the other thing we're testing yes. on this one because this is a Monday night game against yes. the Kings who have been playing well. I think the Suns have to take that matchup really seriously if they Third can win game in, in four nights as well so not gonna yep. be easy if they can win uh, against the kings on monday they have the bulls on wednesday they have the rockets on friday it could be an interesting week for the suns who have already won four in a row the kings i think are their biggest challenge in this week uh and it's going to be fun to watch that one with you guys so join us on playback and outside of that if you'd like to join us on patreon uh, we have a Discord. We do extra podcasts every week. Patreon.com slash the timeline. If you want to join us on that playback, we'll post the link, but it is playback.tv slash the timeline. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Sam, you got anything else before we go? That's all. See you guys hopefully tomorrow for a win against the Kings.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.